Okay, I want to start with a, a bit of a story. Um, so, um, just want you to imagine um, an elderly couple um, have died, and their children are trying to um, sell their house. Okay, the children are trying to sell the house, and they've got all this furniture inside, this old furniture that belonged to the elderly couple, and. This guy goes in, buyer, he's very interested, he sees the house, uh, looks really nice, and he sees this old furniture. And little do they know, this man is an antiques expert, and he knows that one of the chests of drawers that they've left in the house that they want to get rid of is worth more than the pr price of the house. Okay? And so this antiques uh, expert goes in and says, you know what, I want to make an offer. And then he buys the house. Now, that's a matter of very simple maths, isn't it? You know, he sells his house, he sells everything he has, and he buys this house, which has something of much greater value. And if you're, um, you know, if you're thinking this through, you probably know that there's a parable that Jesus told that's kind of similar to this. And I'll read it from Matthew 14. Um, it says, sorry, Matthew 13. Um, it says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Um, this is verse 44, um, which a man found and hid for, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Um, how many of you think that's a bit cheeky? It's a bit cheeky. And it didn't, didn't say, oh, by the way, there's, there's, a, there's some great treasure in your field. You might want to you know, keep that. No, he, he's, he buries the treasure and then he buys it so that he can have it. Um, and then Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who then, uh, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Okay, so there's, there's a nice picture of a pearl. It looks more like a, a ball or something, but uh, there we go. So there's this idea of the kingdom being something of incredible value that you have to sell um, and it costs a lot. And my question at, to the begin, uh, at the start is, how much does your Christian life cost you? And I was thinking about this for me, and I thought, this is a really hard question. How do I answer this question for myself? How would I answer it? How would you answer it? What does your Christian life cost you? Maybe another question you could ask that might help you in, in that is, um, is, what would change if you weren't a Christian? What would change if suddenly tomorrow you woke up and you weren't a Christian? How would your life change? It's a difficult one, isn't it? Would, you, would the, the differences be simply you wouldn't be going to church anymore? Or maybe you wouldn't be, you know, wouldn't be praying, reading the Bible? Or maybe you wouldn't quite be as nice a person? Or maybe for some people you might be nicer, I don't know. So, what would really change? The idea of, of sacrifice is quite a difficult concept for us, I think, and especially in our modern times, because we live in a culture of convenience and a culture of comfort, um, where, oh, we've done that. Yeah, culture of convenience and a culture of comfort, where things are um, readily available at the click of a button. If you need something, you can go online, you can buy it. If you're hungry, where do you go? You just go to a shop, you know, go to Tesco's and get something to eat. But you know, for many past generations, 
and also in today even in many parts of the world, it's actually not, not like that. If you need to eat something, you've got to grow it yourself, okay? Um, and um, Rose has an allotment um, which we've had, or which we've been looking after for the last couple of, uh, well, for the last year or so, isn't it? It's been about a year. And, you know, we started um, on this allotment and it, it's th at the beginning, it, had, it was covered in weeds about this high. We had to um, get spades and go around the whole thing and take all the weeds off. In fact, I don't think we've even taken all the weeds off, have we? So there's still some weeds left, but we cleared this massive area in the allotment where um, we were able to grow. Um, but to, in order to get to the point where you can start growing um, vegetables and fruit, you have to um, churn the soil because the soil um, was really hard, rock solid. So we, we had to get our spades and we had to push them down into the soil and our forks, churn them up, and you'd spend a day um, going over just a strip of the soil and getting you know that strip done. Um, and then you get to the point where you can plant. You have to take all the weeds out, all the roots of the weeds, and it's tiring work. If you've ever done that kind of thing before, it's tiring. And then you plant your seeds, um, and then you see them gradually growing up. You have to go and water them. You have to go and water. In this country, you have to go, well, actually, I, I should say, in the summer, because it was sunny, you have to go and water it. Um, but um, at the end of it all, you don't really have that much. You might have enough for a bit of a snack, okay? So this is the reality of, of growing food, maybe in England. I don't know if in the Middle East, in the ancient world, they had it a bit easier because of the weather. Um, obviously, they wouldn't have been doing stuff completely on their own. They knew how to do things. But my point is, imagine that all of your food came with a lot of hard toil and labor, not like going to Tesco's today. Okay? And in the Bible, we see two examples of, of sacrifice right from the beginning of the Bible. We see a grain offering and we see um, an animal that was killed. And these come up again and again, even in the Mosaic law. And when you think about it, these two things are very um, personal because you have to use so much energy, so much of your time, so much of your, your sweat to get these things. And the animal is another, th another matter. Okay. <laughs> Uh, the animal is another matter because you have to feed the animal, okay? Imagine you have a nice, um, nice baby lamb and you feed this lamb and you nurture this lamb and you, you, know, you look after this lamb and one day the time comes when it has to be sacrificed. Maybe you've given the lamb a name, okay? Maybe it's, you've got an attachment to this, this animal. And these things are costly and these things are what were, was an everyday part of Jewish life. Sacrifice your grain, sacrifice the animals. And in our culture today, we don't really have something similar. I mean, giving money can be hard for many of us, but the attachment, I think, is something that we don't necessarily realize. So, these things have significant cost, but what kind of things do we find hard to lay down in our lives? What kind of things do we find hard? Control is a big one, isn't it? How many of us find it hard to lay down control? What about fears? 
We get afraid of things. Could be fear of failure. Could be fear of what might happen if things go wrong. Fear of losing control. Um, could be fear of, of anything, really. Comfort. As I said, we live in a culture of comfort. And a culture that really exploits that as well. Makes a lot of money off our need for comfort or our desire for comfort. Beliefs. <clears throat> we like to hold on to beliefs, our belief systems. You know, the word of God comes in and gives us something from heaven, from God. And the question we have is, do we surrender our beliefs that we've had all our lives? Because some of them may be wrong. Habits. Habits can be very ingrained. And God may want us to lay some of these things down. Some of these things might be sinful. Some of these things might not be sinful, but we just need to lay them down because God wants to do something better with our lives. Ambitions can be hard. You might have had an ambition and God wants to do something completely different in your life. Maybe he wants to send you in a different direction to what you've had in mind and plans. Sometimes we can hold on to our plans because we have a security in the plan. And God might say, actually, I have a better plan. I have a different plan that I want to set you on. We have desires. Many of these things aren't bad things, by the way. It's good to have ambitions. It's good to have plans. It's good to have desires. We have desires because God has made us human. But sometimes we can hold on to things. And it's not good when we can't lay things down before God. Other people's opinions. That's another one, isn't it, that's quite hard for us to lay down. We always like to, um, we always worry about what people think. Personal morals, again, it's a bit like beliefs. We have the things that we find important, the things that we value, the things that we think is right and wrong. And some of it comes from our culture, some of it comes from our personality, some of it comes from the world around us and the people that we relate to. And then there's God's morals. What does God say? What does he think is right and wrong? Because that is what is important. Self-righteousness, we like to be the hero. And even in, in sacrifice, we can end up with this idea that because I've given and I've laid down, I'm worthy of some kind of reward. You see? It's not about our self-righteousness. Sometimes we find it hard to lay down a fence. People do wrong things to us. Sometimes we get offended by people even if they haven't done wrong things to us. It might just be something in us that is, you know, that is aggravated by certain things. And it can be very difficult to lay down that offense. It might even be an offense towards God. Where is God in my situation? Why hasn't he intervened for me? Why is he doing things for everyone else and he's left me behind? Why am I still praying over this situation for many years and still not receiving an answer? An offense towards God is very destructive. 
Relationships can be another thing we like to hold on to as well. And sometimes there are things that we need to let go. Time. Time is very valuable. Time is something that once it's gone can never come back. And yet, even God is Lord of time. And even time is something we have to give in God's hands. You might think that spending a two hours of your time in prayer, you know, someone might come along and say, well, what good is that going to do when you could spend that two hours putting to good work and seeing the results of your labor when you can't really see the results of prayer necessarily from uh, that time. But God wants us to give him time. You see, the technical answer to the question of how much does your Christian life cost you is is everything. It costs everything. But what does that really look like in practice? It's easy to say everything, but what does it really look like in our lives? But I think there's another question that we should ask, is what is the cost of holding back? What's the cost of holding back? And I want to talk about two men in the Bible who really illustrate this very well. If you look at the two men and contrast their lives, contrast the way they lived and their actions and their decisions, you've got Saul, who was the first king of Israel, and David, who came after him. And Saul was, um, well, let me start with David, actually. David was a man who understood the importance and the power of sacrificial worship. He lived a life of sacrifice. In fact, he said this. There was a time when he needed to buy a threshing floor for an altar for God. And he went to a man called Arona. I don't know how to say that. Arona. And um, he went to buy this um, threshing floor for an altar for sacrifice. And Arona said, you know what? You can have it for free. My king, he was very loyal to his king. He said, have this for free. I'll give it to you. And, king, and, the, and David said to Arona, no, I insist on paying you for it. He said, I will not sacrifice to my Lord, uh, to the Lord my God, burnt offerings that cost me nothing. He had it in his heart that he knew the importance of sacrifice. He knew the importance of the cost and the value of his worship. You see, David had his confidence in God completely. We see it in the way he was able to stand against Goliath so courageously. You know, he laid down his fears. He lived a life of joyful sacrifice. And this can only come when we have placed our confidence in God. The joy in our sacrifice. It's a decision. It's not a feeling. And Saul, on the other hand, didn't really have this confidence in God. Saul was chosen to be king, and he stood among the baggage, it says, um, and he was hiding. They were looking for him when it was time for him to be presented. They couldn't find him because he was hiding in the baggage, because he was afraid of standing up. He was actually a very tall man. He was very tall. And when he stood up, it said he was head and shoulders above everyone. But he was, he was fearful. And that insecurity you can see playing out in Saul's life because he didn't have a confidence in God. He worried about what the people were thinking. He worried about that. Um, He was repeatedly disobedient. 
And this is why God rejected him and his kingdom and replaced him, his kingdom with David. And when Saul was confronted about his um, disobedience, he tried to cover it up. He tried to make it a small thing. He tried to say, well, it doesn't matter, you know. And he also cared more about how he would appear in front of the other people. He said to Samuel, at least let me go with you and, and worship with, with everyone else. And, you know, let's, let's put on a, on a face to, to hide this. You know what David did when he disobeyed God, when he fell and when he committed adultery and murder in one fell swoop? Big sins, right? <laughs> but David had a very different response. His response was this. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. David was broken because of his sin. He was broken. He was repentant. His heart was laid out before God. And he turned back to God. He didn't try and cover his mistakes and pretend like they didn't happen. Everything was laid out with David. We see this in their prayer life. We have a whole book of 150 Psalms. About, I think about half of them are from David. We see throughout the books of 1 and 2 Samuel, you know, frequently he's praying, he's worshipping, you see it recorded. I don't think there's a single prayer that is recorded from Saul. And we see the effect of this in their lives. But David's sacrifice wasn't a duty. It was a joy. It was a joy. And we see this most clearly in his worship. When the Ark of the Covenant came back to Jerusalem, because it was stolen, the Ark of the Covenant had come back. Um, David was overjoyed. And he danced around in his loincloth, which is not really the fitting behavior for a king. But he danced around and made a fool of himself. Um, Saul's daughter, which was David's wife, um, Michal, um, she had contempt for him when she saw him do this. And she stood at the side and, and watched him and, you know, frowning. <clears throat> the result of her contempt, as the Bible says, is that she was barren for the rest of her life. She had no children. And, you know, I think the result of us holding back in our worship, in our lives from God, and hardening our hearts is spiritual barrenness. These are challenging things. Fortunately for us, we have opportunity to repent. We have opportunity to turn around and we can change things. But what's the result of the life laid down? We see the result of the life held back. And for Saul, it was the end of his kingdom. And for Saul's daughter, it was barrenness. But the result of David's life laid down was a kingdom that would last forever. Obviously, David himself died. But God's promise to him was that his offspring would establish a kingdom that would last forever. He chose David's line to birth the Messiah, to birth the king of kings who would never fade. And his kingdom would never fade. This is the treasure and the pearl of great price is an everlasting kingdom. David didn't really see, he didn't understand in his time what the results of his 
sacrificial life of worship would be. We've actually been given much more of the picture. We've been given much more because we know Jesus. We've seen Jesus. We've seen the one that David didn't get to see. We have the promises. We have the promises of eternal life, of heaven. And we also have the knowledge that we can bring heaven into earth through our prayer and through our our lifestyle. Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have the Holy Spirit. So we see more of the picture. Now, I think there are four different ways of thinking about sacrifice that are not good. One is this, I give to earn God's favor or blessing. You can never earn God's favor or blessing by giving, by doing anything. Because his love has been poured out. His favor has been poured out. He wants to give to you because that's who he is. So none of this is about earning. And in fact, this makes our sacrifice a duty rather than a joy. And it makes it all about us. And that's where we can get into self-righteousness because we think, oh, I'm doing all this stuff. I'm giving a bit like the older son in the, pra- uh, the prodigal son parable. He had given his, you know, he spent his life serving the father. And when the son came back, he was angry. And that is where that kind of mentality can lead to. Another wrong thing is I give to feel good about myself. Now, sometimes sacrifice does feel good, especially when we see the results of it. You know, I think that it's good to feel, um, you know, positive when we, when we give. But you know, when Jesus died on the cross, he wasn't really feeling good. In fact, he was sweating blood before he went to it because of the stress and the knowledge of what he was going to endure. But we'll come to that in a minute. Another bad um, mindset is I give, I'll give when I feel like giving. This is kind of similar to the previous one. I'll give when I feel like giving. It's true that our giving should be joyful. But I think the feelings come when we make the choice. You know, Jesus said where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Sometimes our heart follows where we give our treasure. We think it's the other way around. We think that we have to have our heart in the right place and then give the treasure. But actually, Jesus says, when you're tr- where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So sometimes you just need to take a step. So all these beeps and bells going off. <laughs> Maybe God's calling. Okay. Sometimes we need, we need to take a step. Um, okay. I'll give when God gives something to me. As another mindset, I think. And by the way, all of these things I've struggled with. All of these things. You know, this goes back to offense, I think. We're waiting for God to do something. We're waiting for our breakthrough to happen. We're, we're waiting to be healed. And we hold back because we, we don't see God's goodness. We say we believe in God's goodness, but do we really believe it? And we have this image of God like he's withholding from us. But the, the reality is, there's so many reasons, I think, why these things aren't happening in our lives. We don't understand. We live veiled. 
we live veiled. We don't see what's happening in the spiritual realm. We don't know about these things unless God reveals it to us. And we just have to keep going. We have to keep asking. We have to keep persisting in prayer. We have to keep going. You know, many of the great healing, um, the men and women of God who've had healing ministries have started in the same way, have started by praying and praying and not seeing anything. So we have to keep going. We have to keep going. You see, God is always generous and his heart is to give. His heart is to give. Jesus came to heal the sick, not to leave them in bondage. We have to believe that. And sometimes there's something we need to do. Sometimes there's a battle that we need to fight. We need to join in prayer and fight that battle. But we mustn't ever believe that it's God's fault. And the reality is, in this last point, God has already given. If we're waiting for God to give before we do something, God has already given. He's already given more than we can imagine. So that leads us on to, the, I think, some good mindsets to have. We give to obtain true eternal value. I think it's good to understand the concept of reward because the Bible talks about it. The Bible talks about heavenly rewards, okay? Even Jesus talks about this treasure as a reward. And he goes to sell his house, he buys the field so that he can obtain the treasure. But the reward is not an earthly reward, it's a heavenly reward. It's something that is unseen. It's something that is um, spiritual. So this is one thing. We give already knowing that God has given to us already. What he's given to us. I mean, we could talk about our salvation. We could talk about Jesus coming and dying on the cross for us. We could talk about how he's set us free from sin. We could talk about lots of things because he's already given us. I mean, the fact that we're still here. We're still living and breathing. He's given us life. He's given us the ability to continue. He's strengthened us. He's blessed us in ways that we can't even imagine and perceive. And the same is true of people who don't know God. You know, Jesus says that God um, pours the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Okay? We can be completely oblivious to the ways that God blesses us and gives to us. He's given us the kingdom of heaven. So we shouldn't be waiting on him. And he's given us the Holy Spirit as well. There's another one. Okay? These are big things. Huge things. Another mindset we give to follow in Jesus' footsteps. This is another reason to lay our lives down. Because Jesus did it for us. And he did it for the people that he came to. This is what it means to be a disciple. It means to follow in his footsteps so that we can become like him. And as we do that, I do believe that our hearts are changed in the process. We start to care about the things that Jesus cared about. When we tie our hearts to his, his joy becomes our joy. 
and his reward becomes our reward. This is why the kingdom of God is, is like the pearl of great price, because it costs us everything, but the reward is so much more. And here's another one, which I think we often miss out. We give because Jesus deserves it. So often we live our lives thinking more about us and our desires and our needs. Sometimes they're very, they're very loud in our lives. But you know what? Jesus deserves it. I think it, it's been said before about the Moravians, um, a group of men. Um, well, there was a, a group of the Moravians who went out to um, a place where they had to sell themselves into slavery in order to reach these people with the gospel. And as they were leaving um, their country, they left their families, they went on the ship. It was, they were saying, may the Lamb of God receive the full reward for his suffering. Powerful words backed up by complete self-sacrifice. But that's a very powerful statement. May the Lamb of God receive the full reward for his suffering. And I believe that that, that should be in our hearts. Whether we go to some distant land to sell ourselves into slavery or whether we give ourselves to God here in Enfield to reach people in, in this place. Whatever our calling is, whatever, wherever God has placed us, our heart's cry should be the same. May the Lamb of God receive the full reward for his suffering. Because ultimately, everything is about Jesus. You know, we, going back to what I said in the beginning, we live our lives in this culture of convenience, but the, our culture likes to make everything about us, me-centered. What can I get from it? What's important to me? How can I help myself? But you know what? Jesus is the center of all things. Jesus is the one by whom and for whom everything was made. Jesus is the one that holds us all together. And ultimately, he deserves it. Not just even because who he, of who he is, but because he has gone to the lowest place. He has chosen to go off of his throne and to become a human being like us. To die the worst death that we can imagine. And now, therefore, he's been exalted to the highest place. And he needs to be exalted in the highest place in our hearts, in our lives. Because he deserves it. Because of the price that he paid. If we hold back from him, it's the greatest injustice that we can do. Because he paid everything. And what he paid is far greater than anything that we can pay. Because he's eternal and we're not. Our lives are like a vapor that vanish on this earth. But he is the eternal king of kings. His reign will never end. And what he's done outweighs anything. We give because he deserves it. And now he's become a human being forever. So that we could be lifted up and to become like him. So that we can be glorified in the resurrection like him. We can't measure the cost that it took him to do that and the reward that is in it for us because of what he's done. Ultimately, if we struggle to lay our lives down, we have to come back to Jesus. We have to come back to the cross and see the price that was paid. 
we have to see what he deserves. Because that, I think, is really the most important thing. And it's true that God wants to comfort us. It's true that God wants to, um, yeah, he wants to give to us and to heal us. He wants to do great things in our lives. But our focus has to be the cross. You know, it was for the joy set before him that he went through the cross. I said earlier that he didn't enjoy it. He didn't enjoy going on the cross. The joy was set before him. You are the joy set before him. You are his joy. That is how much he loves us. And his love was shown in his laying his, himself down. Should we get the band back up? I think it would be good to do that. I think from this place, I'd like to really just invite you to, actually, let's close our eyes. We all close our eyes. I'd like to invite you to um, search your heart in this moment and, and ask the Lord, what is it that I need to lay down? What is it that I need to lay down? could be multiple things could be many things there are some things that we need to lay down which really are destroying us and God wants us to lay them down because in doing so we'll be free and our, our freedom will come See, it's in, it's in God's goodness that he, he asks us to lay ourselves down. In the end, it will always be for our benefit. Or for someone else's benefit. when we lay things down God doesn't leave us empty he comes and fills in where we've where we've left a, a void he comes and fills in that void 
he comes and fills in. Let him come into that. Receive his love. Receive his comfort. Receive his strength. Receive his grace where you've laid down. Receive his grace. If you've laid down fears, then God wants to replace those fears with courage. If you've laid down your plans and your ambitions, God wants to replace that with a trust in him. A trust in his plan. A trust in what he's doing in your life. If you've laid down your desires, God wants to give you new desires. He wants to give you, he wants to rework your desires in the way that he has in mind for you. If you've laid down a fence, God wants to bring healing and forgiveness and reconciliation. Let's come to him now and sing the next song and set our eyes on Jesus. Jesus.